light. Light this candle. Camera. Action. Moron. I've got morons on my team. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! We're in the pipe. Five by five. We'll help! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe! And so it begins. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind. Welcome back, folks, to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. I'm your host, Jeff Muncy, and tonight, for episode 243, we are reviewing American Gangster, this great and fantastic movie. Stars Denzel Washington as Frank Lucas, Russell Crowe as Richie Roberts, the tough-nosed police officer, Uh, Josh Brolin, who plays a different type of police officer. Uh, and a large list of other characters um, noteworthy in it. Um, Armand Asante, Cuba Gooding Jr., Common, T.I. B. Uh, Ted Levine. Just a detailed list of people. A giant cast. Oh, Idris Elba. How could I forget that specimen of a man? Joining me tonight to review this movie, American Gangster, is my good and dear friend, Ken... 20% Roni. Jeff, my man. <laughs> my man. <laughs> I, 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 I use that a lot in, uh, in, in my, uh, my conversations with uh, mostly my students. But uh, All right. Thanks, Ken. He says that about as much as uh, John Wayne says Pilgrim in uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. Um, it is. It sure is. Um, one that stuck with me. All right. <laughs> also joining me tonight is my good and dear friend, Brian. That's $25,000 alpaca. Miller. <laughs> Just dab it, Jeff. Just dab it. Don't rub it. Dab it. <laughs> blot. It's blot, yeah. Brian. <laughs> I w- that wasn't going to be my remark. But when you mentioned the alpaca, I thought I had to go with that scene. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to give you your 20% right here, bro. <laughs> oh, you know, he gets his 20% too. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Well, um, yeah, so uh, we, uh, this movie, American Gangster, is one that we've been tossing around or throwing out or has been on the top, you know, five options of movies for us to do as um, we, in the existence of this podcast. And. You know, in the last couple of weeks, we've been throwing out different ideas. We what we what we sure as hell was going to do was not do a western tonight. Come hell or high water, we were not going to do a western tonight. So you know, we we uh, we've been we've been meaning to get this on the books, and we had a few other options out there. And uh, and 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 I you know I I I was kind of leaning towards this, and for the life of me, I cannot remember what the um, this movie. Uh, this is a Ridley Scott movie, um, directed by him over well over two and a half hours for a movie. It's it's basically the 
highly fictionalized story of Frank Lucas, born in North Carolina and a Harlem drug lord who comes to power through kind of, I don't know, happenstance means, thrust into it uh, as in, into this, uh, this kind of crime lord position. And it's the story about how he goes about solidifying his empire, and he decides he's basically going to cut, cut out the middleman. And he's going to uh, kind of take matters into his own hands. And, and, and that's the kind of the, the main part of the story. Other part of the story is you, you have a uh, uh, kind of an honest, hard-nosed New York cop that is not on the take. And that is played by Russell Crowe, who is uh, Richie Roberts. Uh, and he, his goal is to, uh, you know, to do what he has sworn himself to do, which is to serve, protect, and and basically take down criminals. And because of his his code, um, you know, he's he's a, he he has an opportunity to come his way, and the police chief, you know, provides him an opportunity to run in basically one of the one of the first drug task force. And um, and so he he through his investigation he finds out that Frank Lucas is someone that he needs to look at and and both of these it's it's one of those great stories that you have parallel storylines taking place in the movie between Frank Lucas played by Denzel Washington and then Richie Roberts played by Russell Crowe and of course it inevitably allows them to their stories to intertwine and for us to have the uh, conclusion to the story with them but um you know there's some real life stuff that's mixed in here but for the most part from what i can tell from what i've read a lot of this is very dramatized dramatized and fictional there are some attributes that are true I, we're not going to probably detail all of that but what we are going to do is just talk about the movie and what we liked about it and we're going to forget about you know what could have been what was and just just kind of talk about the movie so ken what's what were your thoughts on the movie you said you've seen this a few times right yeah i've seen it several times and uh you're right if if we sit here and start saying you know let's pick the nits and see where it wasn't authentic we're gonna waste our time because this is highly fictionalized. It's you know like so. Generally, if you see any story that says based on a true story, what you're saying is about ten percent truth and ninety percent fiction. Uh, not a problem. It's a good story to put people into context in terms of uh, similar movies. This is set in New York City. At about the same time period that, let's say, the old French Connection or Serpico was going down. Late 60s, early 70s. A lot of corruption on the police department, drugs on the streets, civil rights unrest. Uh, another subtext in this movie is the the change in the criminal world. Uh, if you remember when we reviewed The Godfather, the whole tension in The Godfather in the 40s was... Do the mobs want to move into narcotics and this other business? Well, here, this is where, yeah, the mob is there. The mob's active. But the old Italian mafia is sort of being driven out, shifting. You know, They're not, they're not what they used to be, but they're still players. Uh, and that's a, a subtext in this movie that you know everybody thinks that the mafia is all-powerful, but... Denzel Washington's character 
figures out a way to beat them and stand toe-to-toe with them uh, as partners. <clears throat> this is a movie, uh, when you mentioned like what could have been, uh, this movie went through several iterations, several you know, proposals over the years, and a few years before, it almost got turned into a movie with Denzel as the star and Benicio Del Toro in the Russell Crowe role with Ray Liotta and John C. Riley backing up. Uh, but that kind of fell through, and there was uh, a lot of interest in this. They were able to get Ridley Scott, a great director, got a great cast uh, some of these people were well-known at the time, and others were, I think, professionally well-known, but they hadn't really broken through to mass market. A thing I noticed when I was looking at the track records for Russell Crowe is this movie is, I'm, I'm going to sound jaded or something here, but this is the end of his golden period. He had like a decade of just putting out hit after hit after hit. I mean, he he blew up to national attention uh, when he did uh, L.A. Confidential about 10 years before this. He was cranking out movies a couple a year. And although he stayed busy after this, I've not been that impressed with most of the work that's come after this one although he does a very solid job here uh the supporting cast is big and everybody gives a good performance i think it's pretty much the what it says it is it's a gangster story you got the good cop the bad cops you know and various flavors of mobsters i'm sure we will talk about you know because we've talked about it before with mob movies, you know, are we romanticizing the criminals here? Are the police really the good guys? Uh, you know, what's black, what's white? Uh, that's always a story here. This is a, and I'll throw it out there because I mean it, it jumps out at me. This is a story of, and they, I mean they say it in the movie. I mean it's it's theme all through. But you've got a bad guy played by Denzel Washington, who pretty much has his life all organized. He takes care of his family, takes care of his friends. He, I mean, he goes to church. In a lot of ways, he seems like a straight-up guy, but he's a ruthless, killing mobster. And then you have the good guy, Russell Crowe, whose life is a mess. He doesn't give his you know children proper attention. He's you know has problems with everybody he runs into. Uh, so it's sort of a, you know, does being good or being bad translate to all aspects of life? And this movie tries to make the case that no, it doesn't. You can be bad, you can be good, and your life may be good or bad. So that's my introduction. I'll leave it now to Brian. Brian, what are your thoughts? Well, you, this is your first viewing, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, as you know, I, I've, I've always had struggled with mobster movies because of, the, I guess, the the extremely mixed message of monster movies. I mean, you know, Ken made a real neat point about how a lot of times the, the monsters seem to have it more together than the, than the good guys. I mean, heck, 
I mean, just watch Justified. You know, <laughs> your Raylan Givens' wife is a train wreck. You know, but in any event, yeah, you, you certainly get that feeling from it. And I, and, and, and actually, and to me, and we, we will probably get some of the questions about the whole monster thing. But you know, the the, the how 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 they can be one person one way and another person another. But the other thing about mobster movies is usually the lead guy in a mobster movie, the bad guy, is one of the greatest actors usually on stage at that point i'd argue i mean you guys know how much i you know i I love certain actors but i'll tell you what i'm not sure there's any better actor kicking around right now on a consistent basis than denzel washington he 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 doesn't do anything that you don't go like wow that's a that's that's amazing or or at least you're drawn he's both charismatic and he's a good actor a great actor that makes any sense and again one of the problems i have about a monster movie is like man i'm i'm kind of cheering for a guy i shouldn't be cheering for at times at times, like, you know, he needs to take care of freaking he needs to take he needs to knock that cop off. You're thinking like, well, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> what am I thinking that way? Washington is just I, I can't say enough about it. I mean, I'll watch anything he's in. Literally. Ken mentioned the cast. I had no idea that this cast was as deep as it was. Hell, Clarence Williams, the third didn't even get a credit in this movie. <laughs> right. I mean, he didn't even get a credit. And I thought he's, I mean, he's only on there for like two minutes, but he's, he, he dominates in those couple well, he was, minutes he's around. Yeah, he was the mod squad. Absolutely. On the, on the tough streets fighting crime back in like 1968. He passed those turkeys out, helping his helping you know, his fellow man. I just had no idea the depth of this cast. Uh, I mean, you got, I think I counted three Oscar winners in here uh, that there's I know four. of. There's four. What, there's four? Okay. There's four. Well, there's three and immediately did. popped to mind. I didn't. Okay, so yeah, there are. There's Maybe four. More, I don't know. There's four. There's four that um, won. There's four that were nominated. And I, you know, when I sent the uh, post out on the website, I at the time I I just do the, the of the two, and mm-hmm. I was very kind of I don't know cryptic in my my production of it. it. You know, I said there's at least two, and I looked uh, you know a little deeper. Found out that so the two that I knew of were uh, Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington. I forgot Cuba Gooding Jr. was an mm-hmm. Academy Award winner. And oh, Ch- Chuetel Idlefor was he? Did he win an Oscar too? Am I wrong? Uh, I believe so. Don't. He was nominated. I know that. I think so. I well, think he was, he's in, one he of the was ones. in uh, Serenity, so he should have won an Oscar <laughs> for, for, for Serenity. Well, just because I love Serenity. You know what <laughs> oh, else, just, too? I mean, just, speaking of actors and tying this into your recent uh, podcast with Steve, if while they were out trying to clean up the streets, the zombie apocalypse would have broken out, yep. all these guys would have been fine. Because Norman Reedus <laughs> it was right there. Oh, was yes. on the I, team. I, I Briefly. Briefly, yes. Norman Reedus. At, at, the, at the morgue. God, I Zombies would have had a chance. I had seen this earlier. So there, for this movie, there was only one person. There was one person nominated. It was like Ruby somebody. Um, uh, Ruby D, the mom. His mother, the mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ruby D's been, and you know, she's been acting since back in the, I think the fifties. Yeah, the fifties. Th- she since passed. But, but yeah. this was her first and only um, nomination. If you can believe that. Hmm. Well, she backed Denzel down. There's, a, there's not many people he was afraid of in this movie, but he smacked did, him. Smacked he him. didn't cross his mom. No, I, I mean, and that was um, 
I mean, that was that was kind of a. I mean, you you kind of saw that that scene build. It, it built extraordinarily well. Um, when you know, mom comes along, is like you're you're gonna listen to me. But basically, the, the the four Academy Award winners are Cuba Gooding Jr., Common, mm-hmm. which I didn't know Common was an Academy Award winner unless it was for um, music. Music, maybe it's music. And, and he was then, he was good in Hell on Wheels. If you ever saw Hell on Wheels, I did. I really liked that guy. He was really good in the last John Wick movie too. Yes, he was. Um. Uh, I mean, he'd really at times. I mean, he was yeah, a very commanding presence in that. But of course, you know, Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. Uh, you know, Russell Crowe got his non Academy Award for um, uh, what was that movie, Ken? Gladiator, uh, L.A. Confidential. Uh, no, it was um, the one where he was the whistleblower. Yeah, that was oh, the, the that informant. Was he, the informant. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. it was the first time. I'd, I don't, I don't. You, know, you guys really liked L.A. Confidential. I don't know if I've ever that, really given or the Insider. It was the insider, not oh, the. Oh, uh, okay, yes. Yeah, nineteen. He gained weight for that role, I think, didn't he? In fact, I he did. He did. He gained, and I didn't recognize him, but he. I, I, I've seen the movie. Um, a very commanding performance in there, but that was the first time I really had seen him. Of course, right after that, he did Gladiator. Anyway, so you, you know, and then there's four other people that were nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah, this this movie is is star studded and talent studded, not just star. So you, so Brian, I'm sorry, I, I totally got this all. Well, no, no, I mean, the whole point is that the movie's loaded. I mean, it, it, you got, I mean, I, I love watching Ted Levine, anything he does. Uh, I mean, I just go down this list. I mean, you got guys that are, that are well-known uh, character actors like, uh, well, shoot, like John Polito, you know. Yeah. I mean, oh, he, he yeah. He pops the, up in a lot of stuff. Always with the high hat. Yeah. And I'm sick of the high hat. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I mean, obviously you mentioned Idris Elba, but, you know, Idris Elba basically just, you know, he was there for a couple scenes. You're, you're watching him. You're like, "Well, this guy's got to go," and he does. Uh, but well, he's got to go, and he's the um, he's kind of the evolution of the story of of Frank in the movie. You realize how far Frank has come, in, you know, at least movie wise, you know, in the last half hour, forty five minutes. But in the story, it's like, oh, well, yeah, he's got to go. Get me, a, get me a light, Frank. Remember that? Go get me a light party. Elvis oh. treats him like he's a, you know, or get me a drink or something. It was, it was that kind of thing. You know? Right. He was very dismissive. I mean, you, you understood Frank's place. And that's, you know, this story does a great job, I think, showing, you know, him kind of being thrust as, into this role through the, um, to the, to, you know, to the death of his employer. He was a, uh, he was the driver. And, and to a point, you know, the story explores that, where that, that idea of, well, you, really don't belong here you're nobody you know you you know took over for somebody that was way above you you really don't have a place here and so we're not going to respect you we're not going to recognize you and it wasn't until he got in bed with the new york mafia where they gave him sort of the power because he understood how politics worked in this fashion and Mm -hmm. he you know but but then you know what was in what was what he is known for and is the focus of this kind of story is he is he was very very smart to think you know what why am i paying somebody to to provide me with the drugs why don't i just go straight to the source find out where it comes from and then figure out how to get it over here and he ends up cutting out the middleman and the story revolves around him being able to cut out the middleman and then sell quality product on the street. 
at at basically half the price because he doesn't you know what's what's out there at the time is stuff that is you know you know stretched to the limit you know there's a little bit of it there's a little bit of the you know, the main ingredient in here but the rest of it is kind of filler and you see that mm-hmm. with with Josh Brolin's character Josh Brolin plays kind of a crooked cop early on and him and his group or uh, you know to a point they're they're out there mixing it and providing it you know and getting kickbacks for it and they're mixing it with basically sugar then frank figures kind of well i don't i don't need to do all this you know i might be able to just go to the source in cambodia make a deal and get this stuff here now i just got to figure out how to get the stuff here and he had an idea what he wanted to do but it really highlighted how savvy of a businessman he was and brian i i I hear what you're saying i want to kind of touch and talk a moment about your i don't want to say disdain for gangster movies but your point i think is well taken that you you have these reprehensible guys who are responsible for mayhem and death and yet they try to portray themselves as legitimate people who you know are above it all or you know legitimate businessmen or um you know these moral morally right people or and they're not they're you know they're or their uh their hypocrisy is just blinding you know that that they're not at all matter of fact they're the antithesis of that that's a kind of a central theme in all of that but i think it's a central theme because that is the that is their goal is to they start in this i don't know lower lower state this this very seedy area and they start getting some success and in the end they're chasing what everybody else has or wants or possesses which is legitimacy and they want to portray and be in that position of power but in a legitimate way because they themselves don't they understand who they are and they don't really want to be there but it's a vehicle by which they can achieve what they want which is to be shoulder to shoulder with all these other legitimate people who haven't sold their soul to get there in a sense but once you go down that dark road it's you can't really separate yourself from that i i, I mean to me well first so what are the, i almost feel like a lot of the theme of the gangster movies they're american success stories and i'm like if this is an american success story then we got a problem uh and it really, I mean, I almost feel like a lot of guys make these movies like, well, this is just guys doing business. No, it's not just guys doing business. I mean, sorry. Uh, it's not. I mean, and, and again, the inherent, I mean, these people are evil, period. And, I mean, and, you know, and to me, one of my issues with gangster movies is it kind of sugarcoats it. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. I'll, I'll find myself like, yeah, you should kill that cop. I'm like, what the hell am I, what's got, what, what has got me thinking that way? That, this is perverse. And, um, and again, my, my problem has always been with a gangster movie is that, that, uh, shit, it would be like making a movie. I mean, I, I won't, I won't go to the example I was talking about, but it'd be like romanticizing Adolf Hitler. You know I mean? These are evil people. I'm sorry. I'm not going to like them. At least I shouldn't like them. And, and it, to me, it glorifies it. And that's always been my issue with it. Uh, I've always struggled with gangster movies. I mean, I know hell, I mean. Uh, again, I, I'll, I'll, I'll use the W word because we're trying to get away from it. But you know, the ga- the American gangster movie is almost like the American western. It is what you know is done best in America. It's a some of the best gangster movies that have ever been made. You know, you might even say the best gangster movies are originated in America. They go back 
Hell, they go back as far as the Western, uh, you know, the original Scarface and things like that. I mean, it is part of the grain of American cinema, a gangster movie. It's just like the Western was, is. But it's always been a troubling one to me, and I've never found myself drawn to it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I typically, you know, skirt a wide path around them. I've never, like I said, it's the first time I've seen this movie. It's just, you know, I, you know, it's not that I find them unappealing. The problem is I do when I watch them, but I feel like I shouldn't. It's like enjoying a train wreck, you know? It's like, keep your eyes away, son. Uh, but I, 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 again, that's just me, you know? And, and the other part is I can't relate. I really can't relate to that. You know, it's not in me that says, oh, you know, hey, I'm going to go to church this Sunday, but. You know, there's, you know, while I'm doing that, there's five people injecting the stuff that I'm selling them in the veins and her veins. And there's a baby crying in the bed next door where flies are flying around his dead mom. You know, I'm like, I can't just, I, I don't how, how you can disassociate yourself from the, from what you're doing to me is, 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 is just incomprehensible to me. And, you know, maybe that's just because I, you know, you know, have that, I guess that Protestant ethic, if you will. But, uh, uh, but that's always been troubling to me about gangster movies. So there I've preached. Well, but do you think that's, do you think it's, do you feel this movie glorifies Frank Lucas? I liked him to, at times, if that makes any sense. Uh, let me give you an example. You know, the way he went about things, you know, uh, up until he wore that goofy sable coat to the Frasier Ali fight, the guy was like, man, you got to, you know, here's how you present yourself. You keep a low profile, you dress like a businessman, you don't call attention to yourself. You know, and I'm sitting there going, you know, you go, Frank, you know, this is the way it should be done. And I'm like, what? Why am I thinking like that? So glorified it to that extent, at least to me. I think every gangster movie glorifies it. That's just me. Now, Ken, there's always a price, but I think it glorifies it. Ken, what do you think? I, I understand Brian's dilemma. Uh, <clears throat> I touched on it in my comments at the opening, because when you're dealing with a gangster movie, a crime movie, uh well, number one, most criminals are pretty repulsive. Most are kind of stupid. <laughs> most are. Uh, most you know, are. Suave master genius criminals, although they exist, are kind of rare. Uh, so I would, I mean, I understand that. You know, Now, again, put this side by side with The Godfather. Compare Lucas to, let's say, Michael Corleone. Uh in terms of style and presentation, is there much difference? Not really. Uh, they're both very family-centered. They're very organized, buttoned-down, uh, ruthless, and you don't cross them. Uh, in a lot of ways, same type of character. But that's what makes it compelling. Uh, and in the show... You're, you're showing a guy who's working hard to master himself, to master his surroundings, dominate the people around him, and at the same time protect his family, protect his community. If you can call shooting heroin into your neighbors, you know, protecting the community. Uh, but that's something that, you know, criminals and people of that ilk do. You, you do what you can to you know, boost your rep and boost your image. Going back to, in this movie, it's okay. Are the police the good guys? No. I mean, some of the police are scumbags in this movie. I mean, there's some really repulsive police. And even the police that are pretty straight arrows and do the right thing 
are a mess. Uh, they their personal lives are a mess. Their you know way they deal with people is a mess. But it's a rough job, and again, I wouldn't want to do it. So to answer your question, I've given a long meandering answer, but uh, do I like it? I mean, it's a story. I'm not looking at this as like a great moral statement. It's a crime. It's a police cops and robbers movie. And uh, I think it's a well-done cops and robber movie. Can I? I'm glad you said that. I I understand Brian's dilemma. Um, and I what I think I enjoy about these movies, from the story standpoint, they're frequently and often. Well, if you think about it, this there has to be a story about somebody that rises to the position that they get noticed, and 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 their eventual demise is is because of their level of success that leads them to be put in opposition of law enforcement in some capacity. Every criminal empire movie that I've seen, whether it's you know, The Godfather, Blow, Goodfellas, Goodfellas, a Breaking Bad, there's you know, you, you know, even Justified, it tells the story of the rise and basically the fall. And and that's what we're, you know, we're along for the ride because in the end, I think all of us want to see, most of us want to see, the downfall of these people who are finding success through illegal and hurtful means. And, you know, Brian, I, I, I heard what you said. I mean, that you know, that montage that they have there where they show the effects of these street drugs, which I think is there, which is Ridley Scott's way of showing you, okay, well, you know, we're showing you the really fun, lively side of Frank Lucas, but we really need to highlight effectively what he is doing, what he is providing to the community that he claims to love. Mm-hmm. He's providing this these drugs, and that's why you had that scene. And like I said, that scene's pretty rough when you see that mom, you know, you know, there, dead with her baby. You hear the flies buzzing. Yes, you do. And you know, Ridley is very intentional about the storytelling that he does, and that's one of the, I think, the strengths of the movie, and the reasons I really enjoy this movie, is the storytelling isn't just done with the dialogue. Matter of fact, I would say the dialogue is, at times, mostly secondary to the images and the um, the visual side of what he is portraying. You know, that they they could have done it through dialogue, but they take some time to develop the story. This is over a two and a half hour movie. It's a long yeah. show, and they take a long time to talk about really the the rise of both of these characters. And I'm going to call them characters, um, where you have Frank Lucas and and you have Richie, who both of them start. So Small and you see their rise, but even their rise is 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 troubled for both of them, um, and and there's sacrifices that you know that that Richie has to make, and you you know in the end Frank has brought his whole family on board, and all of them end up suffering for the choices that he's made to go down this path. But the lure of money or greed is is so powerful but in the end brian i think all of these stories even the godfather stories in the end it shows that this life does not lead to happiness in the end it leads down a troubled path and either you or the people that you profess to love 
are going to suffer in the end. There's no glorification in the end. I think on the journey, yes, there might be where it's like, oh, you know, look at, you know, how well these people are living. But in the end, it ends one way in all these situations. Yeah, I, a couple things real quick. Uh, you, you mentioned dialogue. This movie is not, I mean, we saw a movie last week that just had some incredible dialogue in it and, and some great one-liners and so forth. This movie, you, there's no takeaway from this movie where this, you know, you know, there were no make my day lines or anything in this movie. There's nothing that, that really, there's not a lot. You know, I mean, the movie is more what's happening and that sort of thing. Uh, so back to Ken's point, uh, you know, Michael Corleone in, in The Godfather actually started out as actually a good guy. And then, you know, he, he went down that path. Unlike, you know, maybe Frank, who you're like, man, this kid's just a bad dude. Uh, Michael Corleone didn't start that way. He had certainly ended up that way. And in terms of, you know, Jeff, you'd mentioned that, you know, it doesn't necessarily glorify because these people pay the price they did and they always do, but I almost feel like that's an afterthought because you talk to a lot of people, it's like, make or uh, say hello to my little friend, you know, that sort of thing. People are like, oh, I love that, you know, and I'm like, that's eh, kind of glorification to me. You know, people remember, remember the most vicious scenes out of a movie, uh, but they don't really want to talk about uh, Michael Corleone when he loses his kid at the end of the movie. You know, that, that kind of, you know, they don't really want to talk about that, that part of it. Uh, but I, you know, they they all do. Ultimately, there's a fall. Uh, but I almost feel like the rise sometimes is more glorified than the. Well, the fall is never glorified, but the the rise is more memorable. It sticks in your mind than the fall. It and I I would agree with you. I think and and this this is true to life in the sense of. You look at there's always two parallel stories. There's the there's the law enforcement story and there's the gangster story. The gangsters have far less rules that they have to live by. And the law enforcement story is always, if we're going to put these guys or gals or whatever away, we have to do this. We, you know, we have to do this by the book. We have to develop this, this strong case against them, or they're going to get off scot-free because they have too much money they have you know there's too many technicalities that they can bring into it and so th- what what ends up having is you have this long protracted story where during that time they are able to you know kind of live the life and i think if you look at you know a lot of i think there was some glorif- not glorification there was some sensationalism that they went through with frank lucas because I don't think it was as lavish as it appears to be in the movie. But if it wasn't, you know, it would just be a very boring story, in a sense. Um, if you if you if you've read enough of what is actually was actually going on with Frank Lewis and and Richie and their, I mean, it got here's here's a twist for you, Brian. In the end, after it all, um, and, and in the movie you see this at one point where Russell Crowe's character. Um, Richie Roberts has taken the bar and he gets the letter that says he's passed the bar. And the reason that that's in the movie is because, well, he goes on to be an attorney and he goes on to be an attorney, a defense attorney for Frank Lucas. So the guy that has chased him and brought him to justice in the end is the guy that turns around and defends him in court. On top of all that. If what I read is accurate, I don't have any reason to believe it's not. Richie Roberts goes on to be like a godfather for one of Frank Lucas's sons. And so, you know, you, you've got this guy that apparently was a little bit, you know, kind of larger than life, but maybe wasn't having such the sensationalism, 
the sensationalized life that is portrayed here. But the events are basically true. You know, someone that has, you know, whatever. I don't know. He, he you know, this, this guy, Richie Roberts, who is, you know, straight-laced police officer, in the end, wants to, for whatever reason, provide services to this guy to help his defense and to, you know, care for his kid. Um, and so there's something that goes on there that says, well, this guy isn't all bad. And... You know, so so I don't know. I think that maybe this goes to the the debate that Steve and I have about you know good versus evil or good and evil, and different levels of degrees. Nobody in the movie The Godfather thinks they're evil. None of them. They all think that what they're doing, and in most gangster movies, nobody thinks that they're evil. I mean, they're, we all see that there's degrees, and and quite honestly, everybody in the movie is at some point has some shades to them you know all the police officers have shades to them um so the people that we look up to in society all have shades to them politicians have all shades to them you know everybody that's surrounding them all has shades to them they're into some vices or whatever nobody is as as clean as we we all appear to be and maybe that's maybe that's a reflection on us as on everybody you know we all see ourselves all of us see ourselves as good people but you know what sometimes i can be a total asshole to people and so their perception of me even though i think i'm a good person they might think i'm an asshole and i probably am but i don't look at myself as an asshole i don't look at myself as not you know somebody not to be to be desired to hang around i mean well i shouldn't say that i don't want to hang around with myself some days but but for well, the, the most the, part the nobody... courtroom scene with uh with uh oh shoot with the uh, uh the courtroom scene where she goes, you know, being honest doesn't make you good. Right. I mean, I mean, and he goes, you know, you're right. I don't deserve to be around my own kids. Like, wow. You know, so, yeah, obviously he's got some issues, too. And he was honest. You know, I mean, everybody said he's honest. And that's supposed to be one of the, the best things you can be. You well, know? That, that courtroom scene, I'm interested to hear Ken's take on this. That courtroom scene was pretty important in the sense of it lays out the fact that he is honest, and he can be honest too, and he can say these things, but that does not excuse what you have done. Just because you recognize it and own up to it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be held accountable for it. No, that, that's what that scene is about. It's And it's also to show that his life is, in as much as he's honest and a good guy, good cop for everything, you know, his life is a big mess. He's, he's in, in other aspects of life, he's not making the best decisions. And uh, it's, it's hurting him. But that's because his, I mean, he's, again, he's, a, as they portray him in this movie, he's a stereotypical, tropish, you know, cop who's just totally focused on taking down the bad guy to the detriment of everybody that should be dear to him. I mean, that's that's a basic character that we've seen in other movies. I mean, Go to Heat. I mean, you got that same kind of character in Heat, uh, but it's still it's a good story. Uh, if you have a if I have a big gripe about this movie, it's that in so many ways, in terms of the plot, the texture, the way people are portrayed, uh, it's not really cutting any new ground. It's it feels like a lot of other movies that you've seen different characters, you know, Ridley Scott has a different take on it. Obviously 
Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe are great actors, and they bring a lot to the story. The deep cast of supporting characters brings a lot. But in the end, it's similar to a lot of other gangster movies, other cop and robber movies that you've seen. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's no, this movie's not... I mean, the only thing interesting about it is it tells a story that, that you probably don't know about how how he took over basically the drug trade, at least for a period of time. Well, and that's... I've, I've found that part of the story pretty pretty fascinating that and and now a lot of things have to work out for him i mean he looks and says you know what i'm gonna try to cut out the middleman here i'm gonna go and make a deal with the guys on the other end but you know it's it's one of those moments in time where it's like well it was a it was the planets lined up he was able to he had some connections in the military those connections were able to you know get this product from point a to point b and you know and he was he was he was doing fine well and until they had until the military got out of vietnam and you know then you know that that caused a wrinkle in his whole plan but that started it seems like that started to un- really unravel everything that he had done and then he wasn't really in a position of power i mean ideally you know i think his hope was he'd be set he'd be a fit, he would be uh he'd be uh, legitimized you know kind of like uh honestly kind of like the kennedy family was with alcohol right you know but he never quite got to that point i'm not saying the kennedy family were gangsters and doing all that kind of stuff but they were involved in the, you know dubious business at the time a long time ago but kids right it did really cut it, it told a different story but it did it was not an innovative look uh, uh you know didn't add anything to the uh, to like you know it was not a, a twist on the gangster film it was just to, I, as the story goes it's an interesting story i mean i mean again it's a gangster film i have my issues with it but i i think we all love movies in fact you know nobody likes to see a movie where the guy is the world beater at the end and he owns the world. They want to see how he became a world beater. They want to see a humble beginning. They want to see, you know, that could be any story. It could be, it could be a, a war story. It could be a business story. It could be a political story. But it's about how somebody started humbly and rose, if you will. That's, regardless of what you're telling that story about, it's an appealing story. I mean, cinematically, it's just something that you know everybody likes. So everybody likes to see beginnings. Uh, people are less interested, frankly, in, you know, when you reach the pinnacle or how, you know, they don't, you know, they want to see a pinnacle, but they don't want to start there. Well, and I would, I would argue that they may want to see the rise, but for me, and I'm going to guess a lot of other people, they, what they want to see is really the fall. They know that they're going to go through this period where they're going to see this person rise to prominence because if, if they don't, then they, I mean, how many, two-bit drug dealers are out here that we know no stories of because well because they're because they're two bit right i mean we don't you know, i mean you don't you don't find out about the guy that was out here dealing drugs for two weeks and got shot and killed right because that happens all the time but occasionally you know this person comes to power and in the end i i mean i don't i'm not familiar with any story where you know the person rises to power and all of a sudden they're up there and they're they're now running the show because all of them take a fall even in the even in the godfather michael corleone take i mean he, you know he, he has his family taken from him i mean it's it is it ends up painting this picture that there was a nice run-up but in the end everybody loses you know and that's especially i think what you see and now that was have you guys ever seen breaking bad yeah 
So not I mean, yeah. I yet. It's oh, on the list. Okay, well, God, can can catch up with this shit. Come on, get with it. I need to be able to talk about this stuff with somebody. I can't. I got so many commitments. I though. know that, but tough. man, if there's something you're gonna watch, put this on the TV. Anyway, um, but th- that's basically the story. And of of you know, in the end, you're wanting to see how this all ends because it needs to end you know it's the same thing in the shield you see you know you see these cops they they make some horrific choices and okay well you know you know they're they're sort of the people you're rooting for but you're not and in the end you want to see how they're going to go down that's that's what this all comes down the story of a bunch of college guys that go on and win the uh, you know the, the the Olympic medal, Olympic gold medal in hockey in 1980. Well, you want to see those stories. You also want to see these stories where guys start from nothing, work their way up, and you know, and and are reprehensible people. But in the end, what you want to see is you want you want to you want to see their world burn and and crumble down. You want to see that house of cards. That's you know, in in the movie that in the show, the house of cards. That's why I kept watching all those seasons. I'm like, how does how does this end? Because I want to know, I want to know how this guy falls from grace. Now, uh, I didn't think that that's how he was going to fall from grace, but I feel like I was cheated there. Damn you, Kevin Spacey! You know, I've never watched it. I watched the first season. I, get I watched it. the original. I watched the British series, which I enjoyed back yeah. in the '90s. But I've I've watched one season of of that, and I just kind of like, eh, I'm good. I get it. I I'm not I'm not a big hey everybody needs to watch this show. I I'm never that way about House of Cards. Yeah, I get it. I, I like the British series personally. This one, you know, I'm getting I said I in the British series he was a, a very similar character. Well, well, I mean, hell, the US series just ripped it off, but uh, but a, a smart swarmy character, but in the, in the in the other show and in, in the more recent version of it, I'm like I don't like anybody in this show. Right. Well, and you know, that's can can damn it watch Breaking Bad, um, th- to a point that's 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 where I am. That's where I was in Breaking Bad, and there's probably a few other shows where I I and well to to a point the Shield, um, you're like I don't these people are not good people. We're following them, but they're kind of reprehensible people, and they've got a again their world has to burn and i want to see it burn and i i'm along for the ride to 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 watch that because you know it has to happen and you want to see it happen but yeah along the way there's got to be some sort of i don't know if i call it glorification as much as it's it is it is you watching you know them rise to what whatever desires they're looking for in the end it's it's you know it's the same thing in uh, smoking aces you know you 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 see that same story it's like well you know you see you know this guy you know living the high life but he's a broken man who is just i mean in the end it it, it this is not going to work out for him and you're you and to a point enjoy that um, because you don't really want the bad guy to win. Well, I mean, that's a theme of crime stories and, and, uh, certainly a theme of crime stories and, and, and gangster movies. Uh, I mean, there are some movies, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, there are movies where you do see somebody, you know, like the hockey, 
you know, sports movies are classic about that, where there is a there's a story and the rise and they are successful in the end. You know, so I think it depends on the on the genre, frankly. But yeah, gangster movies, you 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 kind of hope to see them fall. At least I do. But I'm not. I'm just not sure that's always the takeaway. You know, that's just me. Okay. What did you guys think of the look of the movie? Did you feel you were in the 1970s? I did, Ken. Pretty much, yes. I think they did a good job with street scenes, cars, clothes, hairstyles. You know, was it perfect? I can't say it's not, but I can't. I cannot point to anything where I just went like, "Oh, that just took me out of it." That's not right. They did a good job of making it feel like the old days. Uh, a thing really drove home is uh, when's the last time you saw a movie where the uh, the guy making all the decisions as a part of his routine has to you know bust open a roll of quarters to keep feeding the old payphone. He had to do <laughs> Denzel was always on the payphone and always having to have a bunch of quarters. Well, and you know, and that. I mean, that's one of those, um, I don't know, moments or things about, you know, I don't know. I mean, that was a philosophy that a lot of the underworld had back then that, well, you don't call from your own home because the cops can bug your, your home phone. But they can't bug every pay phone in the city. So, you know, there's... You know, there's, there's, you, you know, that's where you had your conversations, and and I thought it was very interesting the kind of the cat and mouse game, and you know, and the insight into you know what life looked like during that time, you know, and and, and some of that storytelling was done, if you noticed, uh, and I kind of liked it through through the TV coverage, the on the television coverage or the radio coverage of what was going on, you know, the the, the people who were rubbing elbows, you know, the fight. Uh, you know, the, the red carpet scenes where people would walk into, you know, a movie or some sort of special event, uh, you know, you know, weddings or funerals. And, you know, there was huge coverage on, well, who's who are the people that are coming? Oh, there's state senators and there's, you know, the chief of police and, you know, and, and these actors and whatever. <clears throat> and, you know, it gave you kind of another montage look at, you know, the influence and connections that these people had to each other. Um, you know, and one of the one of the more important moments in the story is where, you know, Brian, I think you had mentioned it earlier, where there was the in, sort of the standard operating procedure was you dress like a businessman because you don't want to stand out. You don't want anybody noticing you because then that's when bad things happen. And Frank Lucas is given a chinchilla mm-hmm. coat by his wife that he's like, you know, oh, I love this. You know, I love you. I love this. I'm going to wear this out. And that is the moment where he is noticed by a multitude of people. He's now on the radar of people that he was never on the radar with before. He's probably on national TV, that fight, sitting near the front. Well, and that, yeah, that's, that's, that is, he is now a known person. And really, that's the moment that really the, 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 the story takes a turn. That now he, because he's on the radar, things start happening, not for him, but to him. Yeah, it kind of blows up that point. I mean, that's when he gets noticed by. Uh, that's when he first gets noticed by the police. Uh, that's uh, when uh, Josh both Brolin's the good character. and the bad police. Yeah, Josh Brolin, who plays uh, is it Tupelo or? Mm-hmm. Tupolo, I think that's right. Uh, Tupolo, who is the, 
who is this local cop, this New York cop, who is you know who is running things, who is dirty, taking he's taking cutbacks from everybody. Everybody has to pay their dues with him. That's how he's making his money. And he, uh, you know, he takes notice of this and says, "How does, how does this guy?" Because you start realizing the politics of boxing matches at that point, and where you're sitting determines it, it defines your pecking order in the world. And it was that 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 scene there was pretty fascinating for many things, especially after I read that um, there was about 500 people that were there, and the rest of the people were inflatable dolls. Wow, didn't know that. Hmm. But it seemed like there was a lot of people there. Well, I thought Brolin, those guys, seriously, when they first went into that cafe or whatever, and took that money, they're come going down that sidewalk. I thought, man, this 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 is Sopranos made men coming down the sidewalk. But they ended up being cops. I was shocked. I'm like, these these guys are gangsters. I mean, they were in a way, but. I already thought they were gangsters. They look like gangsters. They act like gangsters. Dress like gangsters. You know, I mean, <laughs> I really did. Uh, the, the fact they were cops, I'm like, holy shit, they're cops. Ken, they had a better ride than most gangsters would have. Yeah, that's Shelby Cobra. At least for a while. <laughs> that's well. I mean, you know, <laughs> that you know, it's Thanksgiving time. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about this maybe being like a Thanksgiving movie. I should have seen that coming. Where he's given, <laughs> um, you know, a turkey. On his doorstep, <laughs> and you know, and you know, I mean, it's it's you know, it's very interesting. You start realizing the power levels that these guys are. You know that you know Frank Lucas is. Well, you know what? You you might be a New York cop, but I'm I'm not scared of you. As a matter of fact, I'm. It's personal now, and yeah, you know that that car you you prized. Well, prized yeah. is a past tense. Tense. <laughs> <laughs> but we did another gangster movie, Kill the Irishman. Ken, were you a part of that? Yeah, and that actually, Kill the Irishman is set in the same time frame. Very much. This movie is set. Only Looks very similar. City. If if you intersperse those those scenes, I think, within each other, I think it would have been, you know, and, and made it a four-hour movie or whatever, I think it would have been a nice, they could have made a nice movie out of it. But it would have, the point being, it would have looked the same. Yes, uh, I, I've not seen. I, I, Kill the Irishman is a movie I always wished I, I. I would like to see that movie because I, I like some of the actors in it. First off, and I, I do like that era. I like the '60s in movies. I, I, I mean, I like spy movies in the '60s. I, 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 that to me is just a really neat time. I don't know why, but I always. I did what people wear is just kind of interesting. Uh, it's colorful, you know. I mean, because, geez almighty, you see people wear some crazy-ass shit in the 60s, as well as the 70s. Uh, you know, again, I, well, that is something I really like. Again, I like this movie, just for the record. I mean, but uh, but uh, I like that setting. That setting, to me, gets gives, gets points from me every time I see something set in that, that, that time. And this movie also had a, a decent soundtrack of music from the era, which, you know, if you know it, it takes you back. Ken, I, I'm glad you said that. Because I was sitting here struggling to remember the soundtrack for this movie. And I'm not saying it was bad. It's just it really, and I'm not, it didn't, it just, I'm going to say it didn't stand out to me. And I don't mean that as a negative. I don't, I just, I think I was so taken with the story. Because I, I really enjoy this movie. I threw this out there. I've always, I've been suggesting it for years. I really like this movie. And I like it because... I love the actors in it, but more importantly, and it's not that I like the story, but I I love the storytelling that Ridley Scott does 
throughout the movie. Now, and the music is part of it, but it's something that's never stuck with me, like that has been so prominent or defining to me as in some other movies. And I can't for the life of me sit here and tell you one song that's in it. Well, it's because uh, it was late 60s rhythm and blues, basically. And it, what they weren't going with the top hits. They were doing the solid songs that were being played, but aren't the ones that keep showing up today. So, I mean, I, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a heavy-handed one. Sometimes, you know, some movies set in the past, it's like every song in the movie is like the ones that we know. Well, you know, in any, if you really were sitting around the 60s and 70s, there's a whole lot of music being played. Might have been played a lot, but nobody hears it today. Well, you know, Deep Purple Cream, something like that. But I, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of with Jeff on this. I, I, first of all, I think it, Ken's right in the point. It was subtle. It was this the music was not overbearing. It was kind of quietly in the background. Because I couldn't, I, I, I'm like you, Jeff. If you asked me a single song in the movie, I couldn't tell you. I, I know it's 60s, but, uh, but I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and say, "Wow, that was an incredible soundtrack," because it, you know, it wasn't memorable to me. But, but it, it worked well within the movie and took you to that time and place. But it was not, uh, it was not like some movies, as Kim would describe, they throw it right in your face. You can't, you can't help but, you know, but notice it. I'm going to guess that it, it didn't. You didn't need a strong soundtrack to get you into this movie because again my my feeling is the strength of this movie besides the actors which they expertly cast uh it's it's really the the storytelling that Ridley Scott does with the with the shots with the scenes i had read something that this was the most involved production he'd really ever been in with over 350 some scenes and they don't ever really linger on one scene. I mean, any one scene might last maybe maybe at most five minutes. I mean, and there's some there's there's a lot of different uh, places that they go in this in this in this two and a half plus hours that they that they show this and um, and, and it's it's all over the place. Um, you know, there's a great scene with the Asante where they're having a great conversation in his office between two you know it 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 appears that they're equals but they're not because you know Amana Sante runs the New York mafia and you know Frank Lucas is a you know he's a player but he's but but Denzel portrays himself as kind of kind of an equal and it's it's a pretty cool scene because there's some great dialogue that goes on there but it's a it's, great scene. It's a it, very good scene. It's yeah. It's it's a very important scene. You know. You know. You you can, you can, uh, you can, you know, be successful and not have friends, or you can be unsuccessful and have friends. And it's it you know it's you know it kind of lets Frank know. Well, you know, you got to keep your eye on the ball. If that's what you want, you you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, but there's all these little scenes throughout the movie. Again, that scene doesn't take any more than five minutes. But it's and 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 the scenes are so diverse. I mean, you've got scenes, like I said, in that in that kind of office den home of Amanasante, and then you know, you know, a few a few scenes later, you're in Cambodia out in the jungles with him riding a donkey. Technically, it's Thailand, but well, we won't that's get too deep into that. Well, well, that Asante scene, first off, they're like British lords out there shooting. 
initially. And uh, so you, 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 you thought, like, well, even if the gun was from, uh, I can't remember where the gun was from, but somewhere in England. Um, but it, it, it's like, again, it's like a British movie. They're out there, you know, they just got done hunting elk or something. And uh, they're wearing those jackets with the jackets. leather on one side. Yep. Um, and then all of a sudden now they're, to, they're eating. And there's a lot going on in that scene. First off, when Asante's wife, who knows how this game is played, says, hey, I want to go show you something in my house. And uh, Washington's wife didn't pick up on it, the cue that the, it's time for the men to talk. Uh, you know, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't, didn't get that. You know, then obviously then that's what that was about. And then the, the discussion between Asante and Washington, you know, he's talking about uh, monopolies and, you know, he, he he never came out and said what he wanted, but he skirted around it. And they, but they both knew exactly what he was talking about. And so you kind of got to zoom in on that scene, like, what, what are they, what's he talking about? Oh, oh, I know what he's talking about. But it didn't throw it in your face. You know, he'd say, like, Frank, you gotta, you gotta cut us in. You gotta do this. You know, you're doing, you're screwing up things and all that. It was, it was very subtly done. And Frank was in tune with it. You know, he knew what was going on. I mean, he was sophisticated. He was as sophisticated in terms of what was going on as as Asante was. You know, he was at a different level, but he was looking to change that. But no, that was a really neat scene. I thought maybe it among my favorite scenes in a movie. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot. Um, there's a lot in this movie. Um, it 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 keeps incredible pace. I feel between not just between the two storylines that they have between Denzel's character and Russell Crowe's character, but also just how they keep the pace with. You know the events that's going on in Frank's life, and then Rich and things that are going on in Richie's life. And for a while there, I, I kept questioning, you know, what's the whole point with him and his ex-wife? You know, why is this necessary? But I do think it comes down to that whole courtroom scene where she lets him know, just because you won't take the money and you won't become one of these guys, what you're doing is not really any better. He comes to the realization that, you know what? Yeah, I guess she's right. I shouldn't really have this major level of custody with my son. And it, it kind of is a turning point for him that, you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a good father and I can't be a good father. I won't be, I won't be there for him. You know, and, Throughout the movie, you've got this parade of women that he's with, and yep, by God, he's got an impressive list of women that he's seen with throughout the movie. He's walking through the park with her, he's eyeballing women. Yeah, he's a player. Yeah, attorney, obviously. He doesn't have much charisma. <laughs> there's that one scene where he's like, "You, you really?" His attorney's like, "Screw me like a cop." Yeah, <laughs> not an attorney. <laughs> Yeah, not an attorney. <laughs> Sitting there laughing. I was. I it may it may be one of the first sex scenes I've ever laughed at. But um, it's yeah it, it, it. Again, for a while, I kept thinking, well, his his ex wife's the irrelevant female role. But it it got to a point where I thought, you know, it took her to kind of to define for him his struggles and that. You know he he can he can want this and chase this as much as he wants, but it's never going to be something he can have or has the maybe the ability to have. He was always a square peg in a round hole. Always, actually, I'll jump away just for a second. The guy that was actually a little baffling to me was uh, Ted Levine as uh, uh, Ted Levine's character. 
he's surrounded by this corruption. He's overseeing it, you know, and he knows it's all around him. And yet he reaches out to to uh, to. Uh, oh, gosh, dang it. Uh, well, he, he puts him in charge of the drug task force because he recognizes he's the only honest guy there. But I'm like, man, how could you how could you go into your office every day surrounded by just I mean, there's corruption all, all around you. You over again, you oversee it. And yet you're still willing to set this thing up. And you're and you're still honestly, you're still kind of an honest guy. Not kind of. I guess he is. But that, that dichotomy was always I'm like, how, how I mean, I'm sure there were guys that operated that way. But it's like, how could you operate? How could you be around this every day and not get corrupted by it ken what are your I mean, thoughts it, about that i mean well people are people and uh <clears throat> a lot of people go into various lines of work and they want to do good they want to do right but the system does force them to accommodate to it i think i mean i could sit here and go through history go through the news go through current events point out all kinds of stuff where you have people that again they want to be good but you can't always do it but Levine uh, was good. He was a good guy, yeah. But also, he was kind of a low-level guy too. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a captain in the police, but that's correct. You know, he wasn't police commissioner or something. I, I and uh, we also we see him doing what he's doing. For all we know, when he's not on camera, he could be, you know, shaking down collection plates at the church or something. We don't know what he does outside <laughs> of the direct view of us. Well, but it's I, funny. I, I watch I watch this show, and and uh, and again, it's a TV show, but it's a TV show I really like, and uh, it's been around for a long time. It's never won a lot of awards. It's a TV show I can't believe it's on TV because it, it, it is Blue Bloods. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. I like that show. Oh yeah, and I, and it got I, picked up for a tenth theme, season. What's that? It got picked up for a tenth season. Well, I, honestly, you know, it's on every freaking. It's on you know like. Nine or WGN, it's on like five different channels. They show reruns of it, and I'll watch it. But those guys are like squeaky clean, you know. You know, the whole the Selleck thing is like if, if there's any moral ambiguity here, I'm going to shut that down quick. We're going to draw a hard line here, you know. You know, we're New York cops, and uh, you watch that show, and you watch you watch the this show, and you're like, oh my god. I mean, the, the corrupt. I mean, the, I mean, who's not corrupt? You know, you get that sense. Now it's detectives that you're seeing, but but it was you know, the detectives. Just it seems like the detectives are just icons of corruption. I mean, they're they're almost they're really no better than the people they're trying to chase down. Well, hell, they are those. Well, people. again, in this time frame, there was a lot of corruption. I'm sure. Well, in any big city police department, there is going to be corruption. Some worse than others. From what I hear, the New York police are much better now than they were back then. But this kind of thing comes and goes because people are people. I think human nature proves that we're all flawed and people have the ability to do evil, to condone a lot of stuff that uh, we want to say we don't condone it. But in the end, we, we're not going to act against it. We're not going to put our necks on the chopping block to stop it. You know, some good secondary characters. You know, we have uh, Idris Elba, who is playing a kind of a small-time thug in the city uh, who thinks he is above Frank Lucas. But in a show of force and power to his family, you know, he... Spoiler alert, 
Spoiler alert. Die! Die! He walks up and puts a gun to his head, and the classic line is, what, what are you going to shoot me in front of all these people? And at that moment, I, I got to say, it was one of those shocking, few shocking moments in movies um, where I'm like, didn't expect that. Were you guys shocked by that, or did you guys see it coming? Well, since I'd seen it already, I wasn't shocked. <laughs> I'm not talking about I, now. I'm talking about the first time you saw it. I thought that I was surprised because Denzel's character seemed so strategic in his thinking that he would not open himself up to possible identification for shooting a guy down in the middle of the street, but he did it and got away with it. Yeah, I think that's what it it was just interesting to me that I mean there was so much to that scene where they they built it up where you know he's sitting in the cafe he's, he's talking to his brothers and he and, and we we've already seen where Idris Elba's character had said well you're gonna, you're basically going to pay me twenty percent and you saw Frank Lucas's response to that which was like oh you want twenty percent well okay I'll leave a twenty percent tip to the waitress but you're not getting any money from me and and he makes a big deal out of you know sitting there with his with his brothers and cousins and such and saying, okay, well, you know what? And he, he dumps out the, the sugar into a, to a plate and his brothers and cousins are sitting there watching this and they're not quite sure why he's doing this, but he takes the empty cup and, and I'm led to believe, well, he's going to go up, smash him in the head with it. That was what I was thinking. He's going to take this glass jar and he's going to basically put it upside his head and start a fight, but he doesn't. He kind <laughs> He, he basically walks up, and Idris Elba's character says something to him, and he pulls out a gun and puts it to his head. And you know, Well, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot me here in front of everybody? And Well, sure enough. And then, as kind of like a final F.U., he puts the cup down there beside him and says, you know, put some money in there. It talks about 20%. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow. I mean, that's – it caught me off guard. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here, well, did his brothers know that he was that guy, you know? Well, and I think that was part of it. I mean, after the scene, I was like, well, he must want them to know what they're in for. And if they can't be a part of this, he needs to know right now. I mean, I got to be honest. I'm seeing that. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, first of all, I shit myself. Uh, you know, there would have been that. That problem. But uh, so I may not have gotten up just out of, you know, courtesy to everybody. But uh <laughs> But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say, like, hey, let, let's go hang out this weekend. I'm like, man, I'm looking for a ticket to Canada. I'm getting the hell out of here. See, you're too law-abiding, though. But I'm just afraid to get my ass killed, excuse me, right. later on. If that's right. the kind of guy I'm hanging out with. Yeah, I got things well, to live for. Well, that kind of does happen in this line of work. Well, and that's maybe that's what he – maybe that was the bigger picture is, like, he wanted to let his – brothers and cousins know what they were getting into and if it was too much for them you need to you need to let me know now so you can get out because this is this is the world that he's going to live in i might be thinking too much into that but i gotta think ridley scott had some intentionality with that to send because you saw the reaction of the brothers as as frank comes back sits down and uh, you know proceeds to carry on with his breakfast mm-hmm that's that's amazing. Well, I think you've got that scene identified correctly. All right. Well, one thing that I do, I do want to talk about regarding the family that that at, I just I, it just caused me to tilt my head to the side and just I, I was I just couldn't process it was once Frank decides what he's going to do he he calls his family because he wants you know he realizes the only people he can trust are people that are close to him and he calls his family 
And on the phone, his brother answers the phone. And he says, hey, this is Frank. And his brother has no idea who the hell Frank is. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's like he left probably 10 or 15 years ago and has just been totally absorbed there up in New York and hasn't been in communication with the family. Yeah, I mean, it was really just an awkward scene for me to think that, wow, his family Well, just- it was, and it's also awkward that, like, if if my brother disappeared 10 years ago and hasn't been communicating with me and says, hey, Ken, drop what you're doing and come here to you know, <laughs> New York City. I got a job for you. I'd be like, well, I got a job here. I'll... I'll just stay where I'm at. <laughs> well, of course you would. <laughs> Why would you go? In reality, Lucas did get his brothers and cousin to come to New York, and sure enough, they did. They did. Yes, So they again, did. if this is not based on history, it's, I mean, some of these things are done for dramatic effect, and I think that was one of them. Yeah. What were your thoughts about the great climactic shootout? Uh, well, I, I thought it was kind of realistic kind of brutal guys were working up a sweat running up and down stairs and all uh i thought that was an int- that was an i like that touch they're winded you know it was like they're you know all like in peak condition uh i thought it was well done scene quick brutal kind of kind of a uh ad hoc with some stuff working and some stuff not i mean it's probably a realist fairly realistic gunfight for a hollywood movie it's interesting that you say that because that is exactly that was exactly my thoughts on that scene um it developed i thought i liked the way that it developed but once things started going down it went down i'm going to guess probably as quick as as it it probably would i i i i'm really kind of blown away with exactly how you what you said is exactly what i thought that this seems really pretty realistic that because in a lot of movies you'll have at that point there in the movie you're going to have 20 15 20 minutes of a protracted gunfight right rolling through the city but it wasn't it was very it was really isolated localized it was fast effective basically over that is so as I'm watching this show, you know, it, it takes two and a half hours to, to tell its whole story, over two and a half hours to tell its whole story. It takes a long time to get to the point where Richie is in a position to really do something about Frank. But my feeling was, once it was go time, the downfall happened a lot quicker than I I was prepared for. Now, and, and I was reminded of that on my, you know, I've seen this probably show four or five times now, but I'm always caught off guard by how quickly the, once we get to the, I mean, you got the rising action that happens, but once we get to the climax, you know, in a lot of movies, the climax might take place, like I said, over 15, 20 minutes. But in this movie, once it's, once it goes down, it's done. And the end of the movie comes and it's like, well, shit. I mean, we spent over two hours and 20 minutes kind of building all this up, and it's over pretty quick. Well, for half the movie, uh, you know, Russell Crowe's character wasn't even really aware of Denzel's character. Right. You're exactly right. Uh, and, then, and then when he was aware of him, he thought, well, he's just another, you know, small-time hood. I mean, it wasn't until near, you know, three-quarters away into the movie that he kind of figured out, okay, well, what's the role here? Yes. Yeah, Which was kind of cool because so, so often in these movies, it's like 
you know, well, let's say heat. I mean, okay, yeah, they've got they've got the bad guys pegged right off the bat. It's just a matter of now we got to play this cat and mouse game. Here it was probably more realistic in that, you know, we're we're beating the streets and wiretapping and doing all this stuff. We got the elaborate chart with pictures and tape and everything on the wall. And uh, we still don't know what the heck's going on. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I, I it was it, it was it was it it was it was just I don't want to say it was wrapped up too conveniently, but I feel like it was it it did its it did its job of okay, well we're gonna go through these 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 two people finally run into each other and you know you you see what you know kind of i mean you 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 see the setup but it's it is um it it ends i mean it, it all comes together pretty quick and and i felt like it was i don't know i i i guess i maybe i do feel it was a little bit rushed in the sense of you know we 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 get to the point and it it just kind of it all happens, um, it, and I, I don't know. I just it was it, it just seems like the end happened abruptly, and and we were done. And I don't know if that had anything to do with production. I don't have anything to do with cost. I mean, like you said in the beginning, it was a little bit of a you know a switcheroo as far as who was running this whole production. Uh, you know, Ridley Scott was brought in at some point, and. You know, I don't know if it was, you know, they had to take what they had and then they just, you know, they ran out of money and this is what they were, you know, able to do. I feel like it was still done really effectively, but I just felt like there was, I've never had that feeling in a movie where things just seem to come together so quickly and be done. I can't say why they did it that way unless, again, I just think that's the way the story sort of shook out. Yeah. So. It may be, but I mean, it, you know, it, it's a satisfying conclusion. I think to this day, both of those, both those guys are, are, are alive and kicking. And, you know, and both of them actually were on set with Ridley Scott as advisors through this whole film. And because both of them um, have kind of a, a social relationship, um, you, you know, Richie and Frank both, like I said, I mean, from what I read, Richie is Frank's godfather or one of his, the son of uh, one of Frank's children and you know they you know had some sort of you know mutual respect for each other that they were able to stay in each other's life um to the point that they were you know even working on set with each other so i i mean i just find that that i mean you, you know you don't hear of that too often i mean you know you, you it's a very like sometimes we just see the world as a very black and white and it is presented as very black and white but to know that you know, you had this guy that pursued him, that pro, that you know, arrested. You know, this is this this bad guy, and and as it turns out, ends up going on to defend him and befriend him. Very fascinating to me. But that's something that we, you know we're not going to necessarily dive too much into. But you know, that's that is part of the story of all this movie. I agree. It is now time for brother. What you drinking? Oh, what you drinking? What you drinking, Ken? What are you? taking in this night it's a friday night so it's friday you night got nothing and, else to do for two days uh, i'm taking in i already have taken in it's all gone now um good old-fashioned crown and diet crown royal whiskey and oh not not, uh, not vanilla vodka huh no no I, i've got some vanilla crown down there but uh no this is a straight old crown at my last party 
a friend of mine had gone to Costco and bought me the giant Juggo crown. So I got tons of crown down there now. I got to start using it up. I'll tell you what, Costco. I I just don't know how they do it. I've been to the Woodford Distillery, and they do not have any liter bottles you can buy. But they do uh, at Costco. But they do at Costco, and I, <laughs> I, even though I don't go to Costco and buy my liter of Woodford, I will stand there in just slight amazement at you know, where, where's the where's the extra two hundred and fifty coming from? And I I didn't get a chance to buy that at the Woodford Distillery, so. Um, no, I think I'm stopping by Costco tomorrow because a friend's invited me to a cookout she's having, and since I've consumed a fair amount of her bourbon, I think I'm going to swing by Costco and pick up a big old bottle of something and take it to the party. Get a get Give a liter of Woodford. You can't go wrong there. Well, I love Woodford. Yeah. I do too. Well, if I give her Woodford, I'll drink it all. Yes. That. <laughs> I brought a bottle. And I've been known to go to her party and. Drink it all. Drink it all. And that's not good. So. No, it's not. All right. Well, uh, well, good, Ken. We were we were talking about the my wife and I were talking about the crown tonight. She's a she's a fan of the crown. So, all right, good deal. Um, it's a good mixer. It is a good mixer. All right. Well, thanks, Ken. The friend that gave me the bottle claimed the bag. Yeah. So well, I get he it. Did, he, he didn't even give me a chance. He just like opened up the box, pulled out the bottle, took the bag, stuck it in his pockets, and tough well Here's i bottle. all right brian are you oh for the love of all that is holy i hope you are taking part in something tonight i am i am as of some events earlier this week i'm teetotaling maybe forever so we'll see okay. i'm not partaking of anything sorry all right that's Apologies. okay no don't apologize i was just hoping you needed a break all right well thank you brian <laughs> I I feel like I am embodying the soul of Steve tonight because I'm about half drunk right now. I have been drinking this. So my wife a few weeks ago, because, you know, I, I may have mentioned at one time on this podcast that I may enjoy bourbon. My wife came home with a a bottle of wine a few weeks ago that, that we downed in, I don't know, we shared in less than an hour together because it was so amazingly good. I'm a big Pinot fan. Um, I've been for years. And she brought home this red wine. And, I, and, I, and I'm kind of a, when it comes to wines, I'm kind of snooty. Uh, but it, it was a blend. And it's from this company called Apothic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with it, Ken? I've had, I've, I've had some Apothic at my party a couple weeks ago. Well, so long story long. So she brought this apothic home, and she's like, this is aged in bourbon barrels. And I'm like, well, I am never going to turn anything down that is sold to me in that fashion. So we we had a bottle, and, and within an hour, well, between both of us, it was gone. So I, <laughs> I went over to my, my local grocery store the other day, and I just happened down the wine aisle, uh, which is right beside the bourbon aisle. And I was looking... Because this is, it's actually at the grocery store that I found my bottle of Blanton's. And every now and then I'm like, you know, maybe I will 
stammer by here and find one. Um, but there wasn't. So I was like, you know, I wonder if they got that bourbon wine because I haven't seen it in any place else. Well, by God, they did. They had four bottles left. Coram said, well, you're not going to buy all four. You're going to buy three of the four. So I bought three of the four damn bottles. And we opened it the other night, last night to be specific. And she had a little glass. I had a little glass. And then I have managed to finish the damn bottle off tonight. So, um, <clears throat> but it is a damn, damn good wine. Uh, it's Apothic Inferno. Um, it's, it's, it's actually not very high on the ABV as far as wines. I mean, it's only at like basically 16%. I mean, it's, it's, it's solid, but it's not at the top. You know, you've got several wines that, you know, come out at around 22%, but so this isn't getting a Godzilla, but the balance on it, you know, it's a red wine. Like I said, it's a deep red wine, uh, but it's got a, and it's not an overbearing amount of bourbon, but it's got a hint of it anyways. I don't know. After three fourths of a bottle of wine, I'm right now so uh very good wine very good wine so i would highly recommend it all right well thanks guys with that ken do you have the top 10 movies of 2007 and i've got to think we've done 2007 at some point we've done some 2007 movies Hell, we almost started uh, this damn podcast well no i guess what eight 19 minus 8. No, we're not quite there. All right. Well, a, a thing that hit me when I was looking at this is how close yet so far 2007 was from us today. God, it doesn't seem that far long ago, does it? It doesn't seem that far, but then you go, oh, man, that, that was a long time <laughs> a ago. Long, shit, long time ago. You know, when I met That's you guys 27 years ago, that doesn't seem that long ago, but God, it's a damn. long time ago. <laughs> A long time ago. Been a long time. Half a half a lifetime. Oh my God! I well, not quite half for me, but anyways, <laughs> Ken. Anyways, do you have the uh, top ten of two thousand seven? I do, and one that is a man cave movie because we did review it and gave a whole new generation of men like myself a complex about their lack of abs of six pack, and that would be three hundred. I like three hundred. That's good. I love it. I thought 300 was very good. I've seen it one time. It's a cartoon. It's a literal cartoon turned into I, a movie. I bought the comic, the graphic novel back in the day. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was very well done. Obviously, it's uh, fairly unique for its time and then imitated badly by several other movies afterwards. At number nine, uh, a sequel which wasn't as good as the original, but I still saw it at the theater. And that would be National Treasure, Book of Secrets, another of the Nick Cage movies, back when Nick Cage was an A-list actor, so to speak. Just I won't, kind of, just I won't kind of make my standard now. Nick Cage remarks, so yeah. I'll just bite my tongue. Kind of forgotten now. He was. I mean, everybody kind of makes fun of Nicolas Cage, but I mean... He has a long career, and for quite a few years, he was in a lot of top movies. Well, just for the record, so I can get my bona fides, so to speak, I always made fun of Nick Cage. Wow. I loved him. I'm, I'm putting my stake in the ground there. So. <laughs> he was awesome in Raising Arizona. But moving on. <laughs> Every actor has their one movie. At number eight... It's true. Another movie which I saw at the theater, uh, the Simpsons movie, which is basically just an extended TV episode, but I was amused. 
I never saw it. No. I stopped watching The Simpsons when I was in high school. Well, I, I didn't. <laughs> I don't Clearly. really watch it anymore, but I was still watching it back then. Uh, at number seven, another movie, which I remember going to see with a group of people. I think there was like 12 of us went to see this. A little disappointed, uh, a little incoherent, but that would be I Am Legend with Will Smith, the post-apocalyptic zombie-esque horror movie. Oh my god, that was only 2007. That seems like forever ago. That's To me, it seems like it just came out like in 2012 or something, so... Uh, long enough ago, a lot of plot holes and I, such. I, think but, I, I mean, and it was okay. That. Yeah, I think I went and saw that in the movie theater. Obviously, it was the third time that movie was done. Yes, it was. And we did review its predecessor, The Omega Man. Yeah. Which, without having seen this movie, uh, I'm assuming just by default, I Am Legend is better than The Omega Man. Because oh, The Omega yeah. Man doesn't hold up very well i man said cave movie review, i thought mega man kind of blue but mm-hmm. steve thought it was good uh at number six a disney cartoon which i have not seen it's actually on my netflix list it's perpetually on my netflix list i just never get to it uh and that would be ratatouille about the never. rat that likes to cook i guess i don't know never, never saw it okay Uh, At number five, a movie which I saw in the theater with our friend Michael, Uh, that would be the Transformers, the original Transformers, the one that kicked off the whole series. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Before you said it, go ahead. I I damn sucker for those movies. You know, I mean, that was at my childhood. I mean, Transformers were a thing, and... I th- I don't know if it's because I like them or I just really want to like. Them. I watch them all. That was Mike was all excited because he's in your shoes. I mean, to him it's his childhood. To me, it's like you know, the Transformers was a you know cartoon. It was on when I was like thirty. So you know, yeah, kind of like it for me. I mean, I saw all these except the last one because usually that was a summer movie, as I recall. Yep. And the first time I saw it was at Origins with my boys uh, downtown in Columbus, Ohio. And I think the next year I saw the next one uh, at Origins with the boys. So that was kind of, but I have not seen the the last one. I did like the start, by the way, of the, I think the Dark Side of the Moon one, whichever it was, where they, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Alden turned off their, uh, turned off their uh, communications and ran into this crater to check the giant crash transformer ship which was the reason that they went to the moon in 1969 as i recall yeah neat scene yeah well that was a good scene i thought the i thought the transformers movie the original here we're talking about was entertaining i mean it was what it is at number we are talking about giant alien robots invading the earth i mean well, that's it. If you go to see Transformers, you know that's why you go. Well, yeah, so you I, can't sit there and say, "Well, this is a stupid movie." Right, it's, it's right. I mean, that's giant alien robot. That's my argument for anything that is sci-fi slash kaiju movies. It's like well, you you understand what we're talking about here, right? You 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 yeah. stupid. We, you can't we even we have a conversation about Pacific it. Rim, and I think somebody in that review was going, "Oh, that was so unrealistic." Steve, blah, blah, blah. It's like Steve, it's giant robots Steve. versus giant 
giant monster. Steve. <laughs> yes. But we, when we saw Pacific Rim, I think both of us were highly entertained because we walked in that movie theater saying, like, all I want to see is giant robots fighting giant monsters. I, I, I like Transformers because it had John Turturro in it. I thought he, <laughs> he, was, he was. I actually did. I loved amazing. He was a, You know, we should do that as a podcast. He's good in everything. Have we done, we haven't done he's that, done right? Is good. Steve wouldn't allow that to happen under his watch, would he? He's awesome. He was awesome in John Wick. <laughs> Who, what? Let's break what? some rules. What? Oh, and John Wick. Oh my was God, John Turturro! No. Yeah, he ran the garage. No, that was John Leguizamo. Oh, I'm getting the wrong guy. I'm sorry. You- <laughs> John John Turturro. Italians was- named John all screwed John- up. Turturro was in Brother Where Art Thou. By the way, I love Brother Where Art Thou. Sorry, I love that movie. Don't know if it's a man cave movie. I think I have not seen it all the way through yet. You never seen Brother Where Art Thou? Not all the way through. Oh. God, Jeff, that's a great movie. It's Music's worth movie it all by takes, itself. That movie takes Brian back to his youth, just like Spokey and the Bandit. <laughs> yeah, when I when I when I was working on the chain gang, <laughs> the stripes. <laughs> My God, I mean, well, you know, the, the the movie is the Odyssey. Yes, it is. Put to put to bluegrass music. Oh, everybody's great. Well, I, I, I love that movie. I love it. I've heard so many good things. I sit and watch it. It's almost like Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's on. Okay, just everybody leave. I'm going to finish watching this movie. I don't don't have any aversion. Like I said, I've seen part of it. I've seen the escape scene or whatever. It's just, of all the things I have to do in my life, it's just, I'm not, I just haven't had a chance to sit down and watch all of it. Okay. At number four, the third in a popular series of cartoons from Paramount which I saw all of them, and I was entertained to some degree by all of them. By the third, it was kind of running out of steam, and that would be Shrek the Third. I, I like all the Shrek movies. I don't know if I've seen those, but I've, always, I've enjoyed them. I thought the first one was brilliant. Yeah, the first one was totally brilliant. The rest, I mean, they just kept cranking them out. That's what Michael Myers could do no wrong. Yeah. Well, that's Michael, Michael Myers, Myers had to, well. He has entertained me over the years. That's yeah. when Michael Myers had to turn to animation to make money. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't understand why he's not still not doing a lot of stuff. I've liked everything he's ever done. Hey, he was, he was just in Bohemian Rhapsody. Hmm. I've not seen I mean, it. that. That movie did great. I mean, he was a supporting role, but he prominent in it. At number three, we have the last. Of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man Three, which I like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Three was the worst of the bunch, but the thing which bugs me about it is, I mean, they did it, and then like two or three years later, they go like, "Ah, what we need to do is reboot Spider-Man." It's like you just did it. Can't understand about that series is. They rebooted they reboot every it and say the same story over and over seven or eight over. years. I don't. I they, don't get they it. They rebooted about every six or seven years. Yeah, yeah. we're in the third reboot now. I think. But it's the same story. It's the same origin story. Anyways, moving on. Uh, at number two, a movie which I haven't seen. The series didn't catch me. Just not that interested. But many other people are. Some of you are. 
And that would be Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. I, 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 I saw, I've, I've probably seen most of them, but I just, they just never did a whole lot for me. But everybody told me I was supposed to watch them, so I did. I, look, I, the, I do it out of respect for the books. I love, I love the books. The movies are, again, you, you, the the books would take they would they would be every one of them or the, to make a movie would be a three hour movie you just can't do it you just can't so you you know you have to settle for an hour and forty five minute movie and so you know you just you just don't get as much and uh, but probably my favorite book was the Order of the Phoenix love that story there's I haven't read it so can't say yeah all right that was number two number three or number one at at number one is another movie which is the third in its series and usually by the third in a series the steam is running out and I kind of think that applies here Uh, although it made tons and tons of money and that would be Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End never saw it well I saw it once it was not that memorable once I think I saw it at a drive-in Believe it or not, but the I, kids. I believe it. But that's it. That's the top it. ten movies of 2007. All right. 2007. I was young and vital and active, and now look at me, <laughs> a shriveled up podcaster. You're looking for you're looking for some disagreement here, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's pathetic is when this show was starting out, I was getting slammed with text messages from some girls I know that want me to. You know, come out and join us at the bar. Like, sorry, I got a podcast. Like, great. I I appreciate your dedication and commitment to this podcast in lieu of you, well, not getting laid by them anyway, but you um, <laughs> <laughs> at least staying with us. It's, it's a little sugar and a little salt in that comment. Sorry. You know, a minuscule chance. Is better than no chance well, at all. But let's be honest. The reason the reasons Ken is here tonight is because again he's those women, those women. Uh, anyway, they'll be there. They'll. I'll, I'll right, they're not going chance. anywhere. You know. Anyway, it's all only right. midnight, Ken. It's only midnight. Young. But anyways, all that's right. the top ten. Let's move on. All right. Well, thanks, Ken. Um, I wanted to just highlight some of the um, responses from some of our listeners these last couple of weeks since our last podcast. And, you know, and thank those, you know, thank, you know give a little shout out to some of those listeners that stay with us. So, as, you know, and, and are active on our Facebook. Um, so tonight I had I had put out there today that we were going to do a, you know, a podcast and I put a hint. And unlike some prior host of the show who would basically, you know, give the hint and you know which would be just so blatantly obvious i was trying to make it a little more challenging and i think we we i was i was successful in that endeavor put a hint out there that said the this gangster movie stars at least two academy award winners and we've clearly defined that there's four in this movie uh, the movie was nominated for two oscars and barely made its budget and box office earnings that was slightly erroneous i'm going to admit that now i mean as domestic take that's true worldwide um, it cost about a hundred million to make the movie. 
it made about 124 million US, but worldwide it made like 246 million. So not too shabby. And um, and two of the Academy Award winners have been in several previous Man Cave movie reviews, meaning Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington. But um, we had several guesses tonight. Some people, uh, uh, Dean Santos thought it was The Sting. Um, we have done that many yeah, moons that ago. That fit. Yes, it did. Um, and uh, all this, all the guesses made made sense. I didn't give contextually like a time period, but um, I wanted to kind of leave that. Uh, the Sting, we've already done that. Donald Shea said it was Public Enemies with Johnny Depp and Christian Bale. That's actually a pretty good movie. It's actually a pretty good movie. That makes me want to get it on the list now. <laughs> it's not bad. Rick Allen thought it was Gangs of New York. Also, not a really not a bad guess. It fits all the parameters. Yes. Um, and then uh, Cameron Freed wanted to uh, jump to uh, Casino or the, the Departed. Now, we've done The Departed, I believe. Is that right, Ken? Ooh, I think we did. I think we I did. But I know we didn't, we didn't do Casino. We have never done Casino because Steve would not because that's a brutal movie. I mean, brutal in an uncomfortable way. Isn't that the movie where Joe Pesci goes out to the cornfield? Yes, the cornfield scene is brutal. Oh gosh! Oh gosh! <laughs> what what brutal scene has Joe Pesci not done in a game? That's well, that's a good point. That's a good point. This was even brutal for him. Oh, it was it was rough. It was rough. Um, but um, you know, so yeah, I want to thank those guys. Also, um, this week, um, I am excited. Next weekend, I am going to be in Chicago, and I am going to see John Wick Chapter Three. Because nothing is going to stop me from seeing this damn movie on opening weekend. Are you guys are you guys fans of the John Wick series? Yeah, oh, yeah. I like John Wick. I mean, you, I, went, I you, saw you, the you, saw you know the theater. You know the writer went to Taylor University in, in I, Indiana. I did not a know very, that. A very strong Christian university. In fact. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, well, I, John Wick is a redemption. Here we go. Here, it is. Well, it's, it's, it's a redemption, not resurrection. Um, but anyway, so there's several, you know, we got several listeners that are going to, that are psyched for this movie. Um, me included. I think you guys included. I'm going to go check this out next weekend. But uh, Scott Waldeck, um, he, he, he is very excited. Cameron Freed already has seven o'clock premiere tickets. <laughs> uh, as he should as everybody should i'm gonna i'm gonna guess that i'm gonna need to probably order my godzilla tickets here soon but uh, on that Jeff, note, you, you, you might not need to order them just for the record what the hell is wrong with you people for the you record Brian, show up damn it i'm i am holding <laughs> out that you may need to buy these pre-show like weeks in advance but i must admit i don't i think I, you may I, be I, right i don't want to see that I, I do too. So here's the thing. So we had a we have our listener Cameron Freed who was interested. He's like, hey, I'm going to be in you know at, in Plainfield seeing this movie, and and I was like, you know what? I I wonder. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm quite ready for this. You know, to throw out a a a location and time and see if anybody wants to join us and I can pick tickets up for it. But um, I, I I'm willing to go and see this with you guys. We just need to pick like a date. But you're and going a time. to Chicago, you said. Not not for Godzilla. I'm not going to Chicago. I'll be in town for that. Godzilla is the 31st of this month. Let me know when the day comes. I there were a few you know a few other comments that were that were given. Um, Michael Dyer, correction, Captain Dyer. 
we highlighted the fact that the Deadwood movie is coming out here soon. I, I for one, am excited about that. I know, Ken, you watched Deadwood. Brian, did you watch Deadwood? I like Deadwood. Bueller. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I was, yeah, I've watched it. I love it. I bought the soundtrack. Okay. I mean, you know, I keep thinking, like, I just wish I hadn't taught you that word, you know. <laughs> Which one? You know, the, the, the uh, well, you'd have to see the show. I can't, re- I could repeat it, but I'm just not in that state. Hooplehead? About, well, not Hooplehead, but everything started with an MF this and then oh that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. God, I, I wish I hadn't taught you that word. Yeah. Well, I, that's... I, had, I have to differ. Mr. Wu would have words with you. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, Captain Dyer, he, he posted a, a nice um, <laughs> a nice little uh, clip for us um, regarding that. So thank you, Captain Dyer, for uh, responding to that. Uh, and I think, you know, there's several people. I know, you know, Slover is probably uh, looking forward to that, too. We should have, probably have a viewing party for that or something. Anyway, but I wanted to thank our listeners for um, their their responses this week uh, on our Facebook page, uh, which is the Man Cave Movie Review. Um, friend us, like us, whatever. Um, we're posting frequently and often. Uh, I, I found out tonight that um, my, my wife follows us on there, and on my end, it says who posted, but obviously I'm an administrator. I can't tell. Um, I can tell who posted, but apparently other people can't. So sometimes it looks a little confusing as in, well, you guys just said this, but then you guys counter <coughs> your, what you said in the previous post by countering it on the next post. What we end up doing is we all have posting privileges, meaning Brian and Ken and myself and Steve. And I do. I, you 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 may question mark in my head now. I, maybe Steve didn't set you up for a reason. I don't know, but I'm shocked. I'd say <laughs> shocked, shocked. I say so. Sometimes it looks like we're arguing with ourselves, and it, I've noticed that so many times. I'm like, who who said that? I, who's this? Who's that? I got to try to figure out who's arguing with who. I it's it. I God, I can only imagine the annoyance. Um, I I wish it would love of all that is holy i wish it would just say which one of us is posting it and i don't know how to make that happen because i am over the age of 35 so but i want to thank all of our listeners for um helping us out with um you know you know chiming in posting you know commenting on the things that we post out there and some of and scott waldeck like is always posting things to us um about movies that are coming out or things that we've seen but uh thanks again listeners being an active participant in our facebook page and really appreciate it you're my rating on this i want you to uh i want you to uh, tell us why don't you give us a rating and uh close you know some of your closing comments about this great and fantastic movie american gangster well i mean this yeah it's first of all again a lot of these actors have kind of moved into a different place like Idris Elba is not going to play a supporting role like this in this movie. You know, not to that extent. I mean, you've you've got you've got some. This is really a, an exceptional cast. They all have their piece. They all do well with it. I like the period. Uh, you know, I mean, again, I've already said that I I don't you know I don't go out of my way for gangster movies. Although when I watch them, I appreciate. So again, I, again, I I'm a big Denzel Washington fan, frankly. I mean. More so than anybody, I, I, Idris Elba. I'm a big Idris Elba fan too, by the way. But uh, I, I, I'll watch anything with him. With uh, you know, anything Denzel Washington in it, just about. I'm gonna give this movie a seven and a half for me. Okay, thank you, Brian. Ken, what say you? 
Uh, well, I've said a lot tonight. <clears throat> like Brian said, very good cast. It's a solid movie. In the end, it's a pretty standard cops and robbers gangster movie with all the issues that that can involve. It is by Ridley Scott. Uh, well directed, well shot, very evocative of the period. And I'm going to give it a straight seven. And hmm. seven isn't bad. But I can't sit there and say I really love this movie. It, it's, it's entertaining for what it is. But I'm not going to like rush and watch it again anytime soon. Well, I get that. I can see that. I understand it. All right. Well, thanks, Ken. This movie was recommended to me, I think, by <clears throat> our uh, former host, Mark Slover, who who had who had pointed it out to me. I didn't get a chance to see it in the movie theaters, but I, I, I did watch it. And after my first viewing, I, I really enjoyed this movie so much that I went out and put it in the collection and bought the DVD. I, I, I just find... And I just... I, the, the storytelling that Ridley Scott does as far as the the visual, the scenes, the intentionality. And it, we, we didn't really talk about costuming on this, but I mean, the 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 period pieces, choices that the quote unquote characters make um, as far as what they wear is is I mean, it, it is it is lavish and very well in character. Really enjoy it really felt like I was watching something from the 1970s. I mean, just even to the point of the way that they use the muted colors to film it. I thought it was outstanding. Enjoyed the dual storylines. And, and once they collide, it does a great job, I think, of, you know, you know how they all come together and then you know kind of the conclusion of the movie because of that it mostly has to do with the way that i i really enjoy the movie itself or what it is but the way really scott does it i i really like this movie and i give this um an, an 8.5 really like this movie had no problems watching this because like i said this is now probably the probably the 10th time i've seen this movie because so i really like it um, I like the pacing of it, and I like the way that it um, it it always kind of just keeps me keeps me in the movie. So there we have it. Okay, I can see where you're coming from, guys. Well, with that, I think we have reached the conclusion of our podcast. We have. All right, and with that, and this is going to be one of those marathon podcasts, and therefore ergo marathon edits. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys coming in tonight and being here. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. Thank you very much for always supporting us after eight long years. And um, um, if you have not heard our um, special podcast with Steve and I talking about the um, the last season of The Walking Dead, check that out. Um, it's about uh, an hour's worth of Steve and I just kind of talking about the journey of last season. Um, joining me tonight and saying goodbye and farewell and Alvita Zane is my good and dear friend, Ken, 20%, Roni. Well, as uh, Denzel Washington, as Frank Lucas, put so soundly, you know, the most important thing in business is honesty, integrity, hard work, family, <laughs> never forgetting where we come from. Oh, and heroin. Lots and lots of heroin. <laughs> you you sounded like a commercial for an attorney there for a minute, Ken. 
Tell well them done. you mean business. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Also joining me tonight is my other good and dear friend, Brian. That's $25,000 alpaca, Miller. You know, Jeff, when it comes to this podcast, it, it's chaos. It's every gorilla for itself. <laughs> His self. <laughs> it's important to know. His self. <laughs> English. Yeah, English, the right? Queen, the, queen, the Queen's the English. You, <laughs> I'll, I can do you invented it, right? Long, you man. speak it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Call me Mr. Malaprop. God. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our conclusion. I realize why I always wish Steve wouldn't have drank so much on the damn podcast. <laughs> At least you, you're not snoring. You got an editing job uh, ahead of you here. My God. Friday. You need to cut about a 45 Somebody minutes. Somebody needs to remind me why the hell. Jeff, it, yes. it could be the podcast where the uh, the uh, person in charge is snoring. <laughs> and Slover and I are going, Steve? I was there Steve? for it. Now, think about that edit Steve had. He had like an eight-hour section of him snoring that he, that he woke up at 7 a.m. in the morning that he had to cut out. That, this ain't nothing compared to that one. I'll never forget that. You, 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 as you might recall, my wife was saying, you need to call the police. I remember that. I think I had to close the show out because he didn't. And I yeah, we were we were all slugging in there, just trying to keep it moving. <laughs> oh my god! I you know you're, you're right. At least I'm able to somewhat close the damn show out. Um, oh god! Yeah. But, oh my god! I, I laugh thinking about that to this day. <laughs> Steve, Steve, Steve. Steve. <laughs> All the EMS. Do we need to be worried? I mean, what am I? I, 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 that, that dude. All right. Well, with that, well, until two weeks from now, thank you. And uh, I will say good night and, of course, ciao. I'll be back. Greg, we are leaving. Are you not entertained? Damn your eyes. Too late. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. Someday this war's gonna end. In case I don't see ya. There's the us and what we were. And what will be. And what will be. All right, guys. Well, if you are ready, then we will mm-hmm. we will light this candle. All right. 
Well, let's do this. And in three, two. This is 343. I just checked that out. 343. Okay. Because we the Walking Dead was 342.43. All right. I'll get this right. I'm. I'll tell you. I, full disclosure. I am well into a bottle of wine tonight. If we're at 343, then uh, the time warp has happened. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the 2020 <laughs> campaign is over. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. God. Um, and, and we have already done uh, Deep Blue Sea, so I don't have to relive that again, right? That's right. That's, That's right. Done. That's okay. Well, we're done. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good night. All right. Um, all right. Here we go. So in three, two, what? Wait, what are you doing? You're bo well, you, why, don't, why don't you go upstairs and watch like a show or something? Why? You what? Why is he up? Why isn't he in bed? It's 11. 10, 11. Why don't you go get in bed? Well, don't go away mad. Just go away. Alright, here we go. And Make sure you silence your phones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take that spittoon and Put some paper towels in or something. Okay, here we go. And in three, two, one.